Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. As we are kicking off summer, we want to kick off a new series. And what we're doing is we're walking through the book of Philippians together. And this is one of my favorite books of the Bible. It's filled with some iconic scriptures. I mean, the, the things that you see in people's homes, on their walls, on their Facebook memes, right? Uh, the, the scriptures that people quote to one another that, that we hear over and over again there's several of these in the book of Philippians that we're going to hit. And so I'm excited to kind of unpack this together. Um, we also want to do this because we, we believe that the word of God is sufficient for us. Right, that God's word has everything that we need in it. It's full of truth. It's full of, of wisdom. It's full of words that bring life to us, that, that kind of help us know how to live. And so as we're walking through it together, I, I hope that it maybe spurs you on in your own um, personal reading of the Bible. The, the stats say that about 80% of Christians um, rarely or never read their Bibles. So it's my, my hope and prayer that God would do something different in us, that we would be a, a bit un, a, a abnormal as a church, that we'd be people that love our Bibles. And so I hope that this will spur you on as we look at the book of Philippians. Um, what were you doing 10 years ago? Do you, do you ever get those things on, uh, if you're on social media, on Facebook, it says, 10 years ago, and it's got a picture, right? And you're like, oh gosh, I've aged a little, or, or my kids have gotten bigger, right? You see these pictures from 10 years ago. Well, this book Paul has written 10 years before he had planted a church in Philippi. If you go back in Acts 16, you'll, you'll hear how this began to unfold. Paul was on a second missionary journey, and he had tried to enter Asia, and it says the Spirit of the Lord would not allow him to enter. Now, there's a whole sermon in there of like walking in tune with the Holy Spirit, of knowing like when the Spirit won't allow you to do something. But it says that the Spirit would prohibit him to go into Asia. And then he was going into a, a, a couple other towns he was trying to enter in. It says the Spirit of Jesus would not allow him. And then in the night, he gets a vision. It's a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And so Paul sets his mind, he, he and Silas, they set out to Macedonia, which is where Philippi is located. When he gets there, it says they went to a place of prayer, and there's a, a lady named Lydia. She was a dealer in purple cloth. She was a, a businesswoman. And the reason why she was at the river is that there was not a large Jewish population here because you would have to have, um, in, in the Roman system, the Roman government, right, if you had 10 adult Jewish males, you were obligated to build a local synagogue. And if not, then they would find some other place, typically an outdoor place to meet. And so they're gathered by the river, meaning there's not many Jewish people. This is a very, very Gentile church. And Paul begins to speak, and it says that Lydia's heart was opened, like God 
opened her heart, and she believed. So Lydia, this woman, is the very first believer that, that is found in Philippi. It says that there were days where Paul and Silas would go around and they would, they would preach and teach and minister and do all these things. And there was a slave girl who was a fortune teller. And she would follow them around and scream behind them, these are servants of the most high God. Or she'd be screaming. And it said that after many days, Paul got annoyed. Like this girl is just like screaming behind us. And she wasn't saying anything bad. She was actually confirming what was true. They were servants of the most high God. But he gets so like, like annoyed by this girl that it says he casts the spirit out of her that was making her uh, be able to tell fortunes. This demonic spirit that helps her tell fortunes. And it says that her masters got angry. Like their hopes of making money off of this girl were dashed because now she's been delivered of this demonic thing, right? And so they get thrown in jail. So Paul and Silas, they're, they're praying and they're singing and all the prisoners are listening as they're in their cell praying and singing. And it says at, at about midnight, in the middle of the night, there's a shaking in the jail and all the prison doors fling open. Now there's a whole sermon in that about the power of prayer and worship. Like everybody in the prison went free because of two men praying and worshiping and all their chains fall off. And the jailer, right, he, he knows the Roman law would say, if your prisoner goes free, their sentence goes to you. And so the jailer grabs his sword and he's about to kill himself. And Paul says, stop, don't harm yourself. And the man says, what must I do to be saved? Like, there's something real about what you guys are doing, right? The, all the prison doors just flew open. What do I do? And it says that he and his whole household became believers. That evening, they went back to his house. They were all baptized. And shortly after that, Paul leaves. So we have Lydia, we have a slave girl, and we have a jailer in his household. And 10 years later, Paul writes this letter back because they have assembled together as a church. That church had been growing, right? And they are sending a gift to Paul, a financial gift back to Paul. So Paul writes this letter to them, and what we're going to read here this morning is we're going to begin with this very first portion. It's verses 1 through 11. The kids are having fun back there. That's good. It says this, verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. 
For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge in every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. So Paul, just picture him. He's, he's in Rome now, it's 10 years later. He's been chained to a guard. There were about 10,000 of these special kind of guards that would watch prisoners like this. He's under house arrest, so he's in his own home, but there is a guard chained to him 24-7. And if you read the very last verse of the book of Acts, it says that people were coming constantly, and Paul is sharing and teaching the gospel. It says, without hindrance. And so I just imagine these guards are chained to Paul and they're like sitting ducks, right? Paul loves this. He's just going at it. He's preaching and he's teaching and he's sharing. And these guys would have been, uh, they would have gotten more than they bargained for as they're watching Paul uh, under house arrest. And he's received this generous gift. And, and what I, what I want to talk about this morning is there's a, a thread throughout the words about togetherness, about togetherness. Every now and then, I get the opportunity to officiate a wedding. So I've, I used to be in a college ministry, and many of those students would come, and they would, you know, ask, hey, what, would you officiate a wedding? And I walked through the whole process, and even recently, I, I have the opportunity to officiate a wedding. And, and so I got to talk with uh, this couple. In fact, they're here today that are getting married. We're excited for you guys. It's awesome. David and Izzy back there are getting married, and so we're, we're excited for them. And uh, we're just, like, talking through the process, and there's, at the end of every wedding, there's a moment where you pronounce them husband and wife, right? You, you know the deal, you do the, the vows and the rings and then the kiss, right? And then, I, it's my privilege to pronounce to you Mr. and Miss, and you put their names together for the first time, right? And they are one, Right, the, the two became one. That's what the scriptures say about marriage. The two became one. Now, if you're married or you've been married, right, you know this, that being pronounced one and becoming one are two different things, right? Like, we're technically one, but there's a process of becoming one. Every couple goes through that process. There's the, the learning how to give and to take and when to receive and when to, to yield and when to lead and all the things that we kind of learn the dance of becoming one. There's a process, but marriage is about us coming together for good, together for good. And that's the theme that I believe that Paul is weaving, not about marriage, but about People of God coming together for good, like learning what does it mean for us to be one. I think that brings up attention for us because we have this desire to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We like that. 
And yet at the same time, we don't love being lumped in with other people all the time. We, we don't like being labeled certain things. We, we don't want to um, fully kind of give ourselves over to this thing, but yet we want to be a part of it. There's a tension. It's like this, this desire to um, have community, but not at the cost of our individuality. Right? We, we love to go to the big game, and, and we cheer, and we yell, and we pick our team, right? And, and we feel the emotions as they, as they score or as they begin to lose, right? We're, we're down. We, we feel the rise and the fall with the team, but we don't want to wear the jersey. We want transcendence, but we also want independence. So there's a, an internal battle when it comes to togetherness, coming together for good. And what Paul reveals here in his words, it's a church that has become interdependent. Interdependent. What that word means is it means that we are mutually dependent on one another. It's when I say, I need you, and you say, no, I need you too. Right? We've become interdependent. I just want to point out some phrases to you this morning. If you look at verse 1, he, he greets the church, right? Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, and he says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Now, this is the only letter that Paul writes where he makes any kind of greeting to overseers or deacons. He, he acknowledges this structure, this order that exists in this Church, and the reason why we think he did that is because it took a lot of coordination of leadership to get this gift together brought to Paul. And so he acknowledges this order, and it's to all the saints. We skip down to verse 4. He says, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. In verse five, because of your partnership in the gospel, like you're joining together with me in the partnership of the gospel. In verse six, he who started a good work in you, and we have to point back to the you all, all the saints began a good work in you all, will carry it on to completion. <laughs> verse seven, it's right for me to think this way about all of you. You are all partners with me in grace, together partaking of grace, right? Verse 8, for God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ. Verse 9, I pray that your love, this love for one another will keep on growing. There's a lot of togetherness in the phrases of Paul. The, the most iconic verse that we read in this is the one that we find in verse 6, right? He, he says it this way, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Have you ever heard that verse before? You ever, I, we've probably all heard that verse before. He who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion. And here's the thing. If you have come to a point of faith in Christ, 
Right? If, if you're a person that's like, yes, I believe in him, I trust in him, he is the savior, he's my Lord, if that's you, then God has begun something in you. He started something in you, and it's good. It's a good work. It's, it's, it's that thing that he does in us by faith. It's what we call the new birth or that rebirth. It's when we come alive on the inside in faith in Christ. And if you're one of the people that are like, maybe like, honestly, I'm not sure about all this. Hey, number one, I want you to know I'm glad that you're here. I want this to be a place where you feel like, hey, I can come and I can, I can learn. I can kind of test the waters. I can see what this thing is all about. Like, I'm glad that you're here. And there may be something that God is beginning. God's starting something in you. And it's a good work that he's starting. And here's what's kind of weird about Christianity is that none of us can take any credit for our faith. Like, we, we can't take credit. It's not like we, we can say, man, I am so glad that I was smart enough to follow Christ. Like, there are a lot of idiots out there that don't, but, you know, I'm, I'm so glad that I'm smart. Like, none of us can say that because it's not true. The scriptures over and over again talk about God has chosen you. He's appointed you. He's predestined you. He's called you. He foreknew you from the foundations of the world. Like God is always first. He's the beginner. Everything begins with God. He's always first. And you and I can't take any credit for our faith. It's like God did something in us, and we heard someone talking about Jesus, and that thing in us resonated and said, yes. Like, yes, that's, that's true. It's like God began something in us. He's the starter. He is the one who begins the good work, and he begins it in you, in you individually. This week, I, um, I, I went on Google, uh, Google Images, and I just searched the word inspirational, okay? You, you gotta be careful on Google, like what you search, but I thought inspirational feels safe. I'm gonna search inspirational and just see what comes up. And so, literally every picture is like that thing that you're, you're used to seeing on social media. It's like the one, the one person standing by themselves. Maybe it's a man with his arms raised, and there's like a mountain scenery in the background where he's up on a cliff, right? Where he's like this buff dude who's, who's kneeling down in the field by himself. Or it's like the girl in the yoga pants is standing there in the ocean scenery background, right? It's like the person is all by themselves out on this beautiful place. That's what like inspirational is. It's like the person alone, serene, peaceful. And I think there's something in our, in our mindset as Western people that we just love the individual. We prize the individual. In fact, we, we like it more than the community, right? We would say your individuality is more important than your community. That's how we are as Western thinkers. And so I, I was looking at this and I was thinking about this mindset that we have. And I think our American Western mindset is even a little bit further than that because we have this history. It's like 
the, the Boston Tea Party and all the things that have happened in our history that's kind of like, like, you ain't going to tell us what to do, right? We have this rebellion against authority in us as Americans. There's something about us that's like, you know, you're not going to show me like I'm going to show you. And there's this individuality to the max where we don't even want to be under this authority. You know that all that stuff actually comes out of our Judeo-Christian heritage. Do you know the scriptures themselves are the ones that teach that God is personal, that God's a person, that God can be known personally. It's story after story of so-and-so walked with God. The Spirit of the Lord spoke to him. The Spirit of God spoke to her. The angel of the Lord appeared to so-and-so over and over again. A God who is personal, who prizes individuals, who speaks, who's heard, who's known our God is a God who is personal. And so we, we read a verse like, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. And we're like, yes, Lord. And we're picturing ourselves kneeling in the woods, in the beautiful scenery by ourselves, right? The, the halo of heaven is upon us. And we're like, he who began a good work in me will carry it on to completion. The problem is that you is plural. It's plural. In Texas, we don't have this problem. If I want to talk to you individually, I say, you. If I want to talk to you together, I say, y'all, right? So he would say, hey, God's began a good work in us, y'all. <laughs> that's, that's how the Texas translation would read. God's began a good work in y'all. Because that's what he's saying. God has begun a good work. In fact, the, the translation can also read among you. Like together, the church, God has begun a good work among you. You see, as your pastor, as the overseer of this church, I want to lead you into that individual walk with Jesus. Like, I want you to love meeting with God. I want you to love to pray. I want you to love to read your Bible and to, to sing and to find the secret places. Like, if it's you on a mountaintop with your Bible, praise God. Like, that's awesome. You are the inspirational meme, right? But I don't want you to miss the y'all. Together, he has begun a good work in us, in the church. This past week, we, uh, we finally had rain. My yard was looking bad. I mean, it's like the grass was getting all brown and thin and dirt was starting to crack everywhere because we didn't have rain. And finally, that rain came, right? It came hard and now my grass is like green and thick and lush and I have to go home and mow right because it's growing like crazy but it looks awesome I was thinking about how that works right every blade of grass growing healthy strong green and yet what you don't see is that there is a root system like every blade is connected to another blade and they flourish together. They flourish individually, yet they flourish together. And I believe that's the picture of the church. It's this root system that we're a part of. God beginning a good work in y'all. And you're growing and you're flourishing, yet we're all growing and flourishing as we're connected in this root system. 
You see, healthy people make for healthy churches, and healthy churches make for healthy people. They are interdependent. I need you, and you need me. This also means that he's not just begun a good work in you personally and not just a, a good work in, in us as the Renaissance church, but it's also God's begin a good work in us, like capital us, the big C church. God has done something in us, and he's beginning. Think about this time period. Ten years have gone by. Lydia, a slave girl, in a jailer, and maybe a few others have been working in this church. Now it's grown, and now they're able to send this gift to this, this pastor, this apostle who's sitting in prison. I, I, um, I like to think of, um, like on Google Maps or uh, Google Earth, if you could just imagine uh, today rolling back the clock 2,000 years. Right, if, you, if you've ever seen, if you've opened Google Earth and the, you know, the planet comes into focus and it you know, zooms in, right, it finds your spot, just imagine it just kind of rolling back 2,000 years and just picture this one tiny blue dot in Jerusalem. Jesus is there. He's proclaiming the gospel. He, he chooses some disciples. The blue dot gets a little bit bigger. He preaches and teaches. Hundreds begin to follow him. The blue dots get a little bigger. This Sunday we, is the celebration of Pentecost. Think about Pentecost. Jesus dies. He resurrects. He ascends. The disciples are waiting. The Spirit of God comes down in power. The blue dot gets a little bit bigger. 3,000 people come to know Christ. Then again, another 5,000 people, it just keeps getting bigger, and then persecution strikes, and that, that blue dot begins to spread out into different places like Philippi. Now there's a blue dot in Philippi, and it's growing, and then from Philippi, it begins to spread out all these places, and then you see the, the clock roll forward another 2,000 years, and here we are in Richmond, Texas, another little blue dot. God began a good work that he's carrying on to completion. He's doing a good work in us, like capital U, us, in the church across the globe. From generation to generation, from person to person, the gospel spreads, the torch keeps passing. Here's what this means for us. Because God's done a good work in capital U, us, we want to be a church that loves other churches. We want to love our other local churches, right? They're not our competition. They're our brothers and sisters. We're not here to show them how to do church. We're doing church the way that God has called us to do church, but we know that God has called them to do church the way they do church, and we bless them. We must love other local churches. It also means this, that we have to invest in the next generation. We just heard a bunch of kids yell on the other side of that wall. That's because God has blessed us with kids, and we have to be serious about investing into this next generation of kids. We want them to know the gospel. We want them to know Jesus. We want people with, with flesh and bone to show them what it means to follow him and to love him. It also means that we have to be a church that sends people out, 
Right now, uh, Zach Nance is running the console back there. He's in the red t-shirt. He's the only one at the board right now. His wife, Allison, sings up here. They're being trained right now to go to Japan. And if you were to see the, the map of blue dots in Japan, you would find very, very few blue dots in Japan because there's less than 2% of the population there have any faith in Christ. It's an incredible mission field, and we want to be able to send them as they go out. We have to be about the big C, church, seeing the blue dot spread because God has begun a good work in us. Um, if I were to bring you into my house right now and we were to walk from room to room, I could show you about 12 unfinished projects. That's because I'm a good starter and I'm not a great finisher. <laughs> I've got projects that have been going on for like a year and a half. And in verse six, Paul says this, he says, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, we serve the God who is a finisher. He's not just a starter. He does start, but he finishes. He completes. He will get the job done. What he started in you, in us, and in us, he will complete, and he has a deadline. It's the day of Christ Jesus. He will get it done. I found this quote this week talking about this promise of God to complete. This pastor, he writes this. He says, the promise is a safe word when Satan's lies try to seduce or shame us. It's a strong word in the midst of temptation. It's a hopeful word when we're confronted with our own sin and need. It's an unwavering word when all around us seems shaky and unsure. It's a comforting word in our weakness or pain. It's an inspiring word when we need motivation to press on in the faith, working out our salvation. Philippians 1.6 assures us of how it will end for us and that our end will be good, beautiful, and holy before our God. Our God is a finisher. Lastly, I wanna say this. This work that God has begun, this good work that he's doing in us, that he will finish, this good work is growing love. It's a growing love. Look at verses nine through 11 with me. He says this, and I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul offers a prayer for them, this church that sent this amazing gift, and here's his prayer. He's like, I just pray your love keeps growing. 
This word love is the word agape. It is that self-sacrificing highest form of love. It's the kind of love that God gives. It's this agape love. And he's praying that it would just abound and overflow, that your love would keep on growing. He says that, I, I pray that it grows in knowledge, in knowledge, now, again, we, we think of the person by themselves with their Bible and then field, right, inspiring. Like, we think of ourselves today. We all have a copy of the Bible. It's easy to get. Yet in this day, think about this. There's no printing press. There's no local synagogue in Philippi. There were very, very few Jews there. They're not like, you know, they're not overflowing with Bible stuff. And so they had to be taught together. They had Paul sharing. They had their overseers and elders reminding them of all the truths that they had been taught, and they're talking about it together in community. It's, they're growing together in knowledge of truth, knowledge of truth. He says that he prays that their love will grow in discernment. That word discernment is good judgment. You, you ever made any bad decisions in your life? I have, I've made a few in my life, right? We sometimes lack discernment. And what we need is someone, not just our own thoughts, somebody else to speak into our lives. You see, we grow in our judgment together. Having people who know truth, who look at us and say, ah, I don't know if I would do that. I'm concerned. It's learning how to have good judgment, discerning. And he says that he prays that their love would grow, that they might be able to approve the things that are superior. Approve the things that are superior. This would be like to, to literally test and prove that something is better. Right? If you were to have two cups of coffee and you're like, ah, I'll try this one, I'll try that one, like this one's better, right? I just proved and I tested that this one is actually better. That's what he's saying is that there's a way of living that is better and I want you to test and prove what that way is. We, we hear it in our, in our culture when people say, well, you know what really matters in life is, and then fill in the blank, right? Your health or that you had fun, or that you have a great family, or that you, what, you know, that you, whatever, you did all the things you wanted to do, that you enjoyed your job, like, like fill in the blank. What really matters in life is, and what Paul is saying, look, I want you to be able to improve and test and know what really matters in life, the things that are superior. It's not just all that stuff. It's like the thing that makes all that stuff good is this walking with God. It's knowing the one who made you, who created you, who formed you, who has purpose for you, like walking in that. That is superior, that you would be able to prove and test what is better and of higher value. And then he says this, that you might become pure and blameless filled with the fruit of righteousness. This is another thing that's a little bit weird about Christianity, is that we don't do stuff for God because we're earning his approval. Isn't that cool? Like, how many people across the world are bowing to idols? 
trying to get a blessing? How many are chanting a prayer again and again and again and again, just hoping the next one will work? Trying to get the blessing, trying to make it happen, trying to earn it. And that's not at all what Paul is saying here. He's like, I just pray that you just love God so much that you just enjoy serving him. That you enjoy obeying, that you become pure and blameless because your love kept growing. Like you just liked him more than all the other stuff that you used to do. <laughs> you loved him. Joyful obedience is not about earning in duty. It's about faith and love. It's a growing agape love. Jesus said it this way, the greatest commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these. Love. Love purifies our life. It it leads us to the fruit of righteousness. God's good work is a growing love. And so, Renaissance, I believe God is calling us together for good. I want you to grow. I, I want you to be that blade of grass that just I mean, it's healthy. Like we're mowing it all the time because you're just like growing like crazy, right? I I want you to grow, but you need the root system. You need people. You need the ones that walk with you or connected who who look in on you. And so I want to encourage you, if you've not become a part of a house church, I want to encourage you to do that. That's how we begin to grow together. The second thing I want to say is this, that um, maybe today God's beginning a good work in you. Like God's doing something in you. He's prompting something in you. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond to him. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.